Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Weekly Roundup podcast with me, Peter Watson, for the week commencing Monday the 29th of November. I'm joined today by my super genius ex-research analyst friend, Ralph Hebgen. Hi there, Ralph. How are you doing this week, sir? Hi, Peter. I'm doing very well indeed. Brilliant. Uh, feeling, how- feeling more chipper oh. than you were last week? Oh, absolutely. I'm feeling very chipper indeed. I had, some, uh, I had one day of side effects from the uh, Moderna yeah. uh, third jab, yep. but I read in the paper today that I'm now basically immune to every disease going. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, that sounds that sounds that sounds fantastic. Um, you you so, had your so job human. today, didn't you? I did indeed. I did indeed. Uh, it good. was all good. It was all good. Um, so, um, right, let's let's dive into the week um, and um, just yeah. I mean, I was going to start talking about inflation, but then I thought, oh, oh God, yeah, not again. Right. Um, I mean, even even I'm even <laughs> I'm thinking this now, right? So. Um, but I am going to mention it very, very briefly. So um, eurozone inflation it hits uh, hits a new high, hit a new high this week. It hits four point nine percent in November, which is way higher than forecast. And then um, we also saw that German inflation hit new highs, so six percent, its highest rate since nineteen ninety two. Now, apparently, the ECB board, mem- uh, board member Isabel Schnabel said in t- on a TV interview that November will prove to be the peak for inflation. Mm. Um, so um, that's quite confident and sounds pretty clear. Uh, uh, sounds unusually clear uh, for someone in that position to make such a short term prediction. Um, <laughs> You know, normally they try to sort of dress it up with a few other bits and pieces and leave themselves with rooms for escape. Um, but uh, that sounds pretty, pretty good to me. But anyway, um, so, yes, yeah, so that's that is, that, you know, that's um, a quick thing on I- inflation. But I know that you're dying to say something. Oh, well, no, nothing, nothing <laughs> of substance. Oh, OK, that's obviously always the case but yes no it's a so it's a, when i listen to the news on inflation it starts sounding like the hottest day since records began <laughs> yeah yeah and funnily enough there is always this day every year <laughs> yeah. and, and so no i mean the the only thing i just like to point out again is and we've been discussing this in in our previous chats is that we don't quite know where it's going to where, where it's coming from it's the covid crisis it's supply chain um interruptions one is going to be temporary the other one is going to be sustainable and and, and the sort of news which we are which we are seeing now is sort of hitting it's hitting new watermarks sort of every time somebody speaks from the mm. central banks and mm-hmm. um, i still think nothing more than uh then, then I always say we need to sort of get a handle on what sort of level of, of inflation is going to be sustainable. But whatever mm. level that is, mm. I think everybody would agree that the level, the average level um, within the volatility that we're going to see going forward is going to be higher than what we've seen in the last 10 years, where inflation was, in fact, unnaturally low, running below the long, long-term average of, of about 3%. Mm. And so if we all pencil in into our sort of private forecast or whatever we are doing with this, uh, that it is going to 
go back to 3% sustainable, I mean, in want of a better way of analyzing it. Actually, I thought about a way, but I'm not going to share that because that's going to be tedious. Um, that sort of is where I I come down. And, and, and I think that's sort of where the equity markets are as well, not necessarily at the 3% level, but certainly the equity markets are beginning to discount an expectation of long-term sustainable inflation. It's not going to be mm. at 6%, <laughs> but it's going to be in want of something else, reversion mm. to the long-term mean. Indeed. Well, it could be worse, couldn't it? Could be could be Turkey at 20%. Oh, you always uh, mentioned Turkey. I mean, I, yeah. I, I still don't know what the man is doing. Yeah. But I'm well, not, you know, again, he's, I'm he, not... He's just, he's just replaced... Uh, the, so the um, the latest uh, finance ministers resigned uh, and yeah, the next guy why. coming in is, is, is a massive uh, fanboy of um, Erdogan. So so basically <laughs> Erdogan is just, he can just do what he wants now because no one's going to say no to him. So yeah, but anyway, that's that's another thing. Um, anyway, let's talk, so let's move on. Let's move on from inflation because um, yeah, I mean, it's always there and we've talked about it quite a lot. So well, um, in, in, yeah. Next time, perhaps, when you talk about inflation again, uh, we might make some general economic comments of the framework of inflation and interest rates and sloping yeah. yield curves, etc. Just to <laughs> put this into some, yeah, sorry, just to yeah. put this into some economic uh, theoretical framework against which it will also stand out as very odd indeed, to say the least, uh, that Turkey is running against um, yes. these tried and tested insights from economic analysis. Anyway, it's amazing. I'm, I'm, it, is ama- it is amazing. It is amazing. But anyway, uh, right. So, uh, okay, moving on. Main story this week, I guess, is Omicron. Omicron. Um, Omicron. Um, I mean, you know, that's it's all. It's it's had uh, it's it's had impact already. Um, travel. <laughs> travel companies um leisure yeah all that kind of stuff has all been hit um people have been cancelling flight bookings have been cancelling restaurant bookings and most seriously um you know that i uh, coach rugby to 10 year olds uh, at the moment yep. the the 10 year olds festival that we were going to do down the road in chobham um, was cancelled. Oh, so dear. I mean, this is you know this this that's when it gets serious, right? Mm. When when the kids can't play, right? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, but no, it's really bad. Um, you know, we, we've seen this. Um, the um, you've you've got airlines um, uh, suffering, restaurants, etc. Like I say, and it's very sad because, especially with the restaurants, they've obviously been hoping for for um, uh, things to turn around. Um, Christmas party bookings and stuff have been late, but they've been coming in, um, and and now this happens. So it is really unfortunate. I mean, my own personal opinion is I I imagine that airlines will actually maybe not be as badly hit as everyone thinks because um, I think that they they had to plan further in advance, um, and so I think they probably I would imagine they probably assumed um, that we're in the middle of you know, flu season, um, and they've they've cut things they've cut things down anyway. I mean, I know that in the last few weeks they've cut down um, flight schedules anyway. Um, mm. but I guess the the thing is, you know, how long how long does it carry on? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yes, indeed. Um, 
I mean, this new variant is, I think, just simply a reminder of what um, the world is going to be like, perhaps in the in the next several few years. Mm. Um, but it is also interesting to see, well, exactly how this volatility enters into the market. I mean, you 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 saw, of course, when the news of Omicron first broke, the markets reacted negatively by several percentage points when then the news came out of south africa that perhaps this new variant is not going to be as virulent as the delta variant mm. the markets recovered so it is clearly all driven by the uh, by an expectation or anticipation of the negative impact the sustainable lasting negative impact of new variants on the economy mm. and and of course that's that, that's nothing new i mean i'm not, not telling anybody anything new here but um stepping away from perhaps the direct impact of this new variant on the economy um what what is interesting is that every country needs to react to this in their own way. Mm -hmm. And when you're saying rightly that the travel industry is hard hit, that would, I think, still be the, the, the industry which is most uh, directly in the firing line because it depends on different countries um, policing this in different ways. You, you know, mm -hmm. if the British Airways flies from the UK to Austria, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then the UK might have a particular approach. And let's say that approach is less drastic. Then you still can't do anything with that, even though you are based in the UK because your destination mm. is Austria, where uh, we just have seen lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So that's um, that's one thing. The second point about Omicron, which is blatantly clear, I think, is that populations in countries have become fatigued. Mm. Uh, people just don't want to be locked down anymore. Yeah. And although this is, of course, a, it's like perhaps a childlike reaction to this, you know, guess what? This is a crisis. Yes, nobody likes it. But hey, mm. you know, it, it is something which policymakers cannot overlook. Mm. And so it appears to me that the examples of Austria and Germany are just the first two examples of countries which are going to react in a more draconian way. Mm. And it is going to be those countries which, relative to others, have a lower level of penetration of the population in terms of vaccination mm. and commensurately also a higher level of people who resist for various reasons Mm. Uh, vaccination who just have to deal with it in some way and mm. if that way is to either sort of you know um, freeze people out of public life which is what Germany is appearing to do mm. or downright mandating uh, vaccines mm. which is apparently where Austria is going to be mm -hmm. as the most extreme form of policy reaction Yeah, I think that is something which we're going to see in the next um well, I don't know, a few years, perhaps. Mm. Uh, mm. And that is, of course, also going to have an impact on, on the economy. So at the end of this analysis, <laughs> nothing more insightful from me is <laughs> rather than we have to live with higher volatility in the equity yeah. markets. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely. going to be sustainable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it, that's the thing, isn't it? I suppose you, it's just 
second it's well it's, you say it's second guessing but you just can't get you just don't know do you i mean it literally is you cannot know when there's going to be another variant it doesn't matter what time of year no. i mean i suppose it's more likely to happen this time of year apparently but yes yeah you just don't know do you really so yeah um, oh, no i mean absolutely i mean this time of year is just simply because people are indoors more mm, mm. um but then of course also you we, we need to cast a wider net so to speak mm. if, if, if we we want to understand where new variants are going to come from mm. where they are most likely going to come from those countries which are less vac- um, vaccinated and and then mm. sadly that's going to be the non-industrialized world mm. And, mm. and in the end this is just simply a number of uh, sorry a game of statistics isn't it mm. the more mm. well a, you know a, a new infection equals a replication of the virus yeah the more replications the more chance that you might have a mutation and that mutation will find whatever environment it finds it is either more apt to survive in this environment in which case it will outcompete all the other variants and become dominant Mm. Or it is not, in which case it will disappear. But this particular one, you, you see, that's the thing I find this quite fascinating, really, uh, because it is a purely mechanical, statistical game. Um, mm. it, it is by no means clear that every new variant has to be also more virulent. Mm. This particular one, if, if, if very early news were... If we were lucky and the very early news we we're getting from this turns out to be correct, and this is a more transmissible but less virulent. Yes, yes. Now that would be perfect because that would then become dominant properly, mm. and uh, that is something which can happen. Yeah. I mean, I must say, I did think it was quite interesting how I think that that's the position of the world health organization isn't it i mean i think that's uh, as far as i know right at this minute that's that's the that's their verdict on this uh, and i thought it was quite interesting that you know that's what bill bill ackman the the um hedge fund manager you know he was talking about that as well because that's the thing if that is the case then equity markets should bounce back because of course they will yeah you know, yeah so you know but who but I don't, again we're, we're only one we're not even one week from it are we really so well exactly I think it's, a bit, it's a bit early I, ha- I have to say uh, there, there are studies coming out of israel mm-hmm. uh, which claim to know that the vaccines work against the omicron Mm. variant mm-hmm. now how can they possibly know this mm. i mean i'm sorry i mean i'm i'm a layman i'm sitting here in my office and i don't mm. know anything about this at all but mm. i've done some statistics in my life and it would appear to me that a <laughs> a population of whatever it is 100 200 cases is mm. not going to constitute a statistically re- relevant sample. And, mm. and, and so I don't really know. I mean, it looks to me as if some of it is wishful thinking. Mm. Nevertheless, I mean, if you do look at the three vectors, uh, transmissibility, vaccine evasion, and or 
or vaccine resistance, let's say, mm -hmm. and virulence, then it appears to be as if this one is going to tick the box on higher transmissibility mm. in itself, bad. Mm. <laughs> Second, yeah. vaccine, yeah, just the number of mutations in the spikes would indicate mm -hmm. that this is going to be a variant which is going mm -hmm. to be more resistant to the, to the existing vaccines, therefore bad. But if indeed, and this is sort of where I'm at the moment still optimistic or hopeful, hopeful, let's say, if indeed the variant is going to be less virulent, then in fact, I think we're lucky because if that variant becomes dominant, then the disease is going to be less virulent and we get less hospitalizations, less deaths. Mm, but of course, we, we, we just have to see because I, I've mm. looked at some medical studies uh, after the Omicron Mm. Uh, virus um, variant became came into existence mm -hmm. and it appears to be exceptionally difficult to say what is going to happen because I've mentioned three of these vectors but there are lots and lots more determinants which mm. uh, which which influence whether a particular strain becomes dominant or not but nevertheless mm. I have got my third jab i've got over the side effects i'm optimistic again <laughs> yeah good That's and what we like to hear and it is in fact the case if um, yeah. we let's hope that the world is dodging a bullet here yeah no that indeed indeed um so um moving on i thought actually in terms of i mean there's so much interesting stuff this week there always is at the end of the day we're talking about news from around the world for a whole week. So there's bound to, ne never a dull moment. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> there was something that a story that I saw, which I really thought was pretty astounding um, mm -hmm. this week in, in the field of energy. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it's all about the world's first floating nuclear power plant, <laughs> um, which is currently floating um, off the coast of the Isle of Wight. No, I'm just joking. Uh, off the northern coast. Oh God, wouldn't that be amazing? Anyway, uh, off the northern coast of Siberia. Um, and it's been used to power um, sort of operations that are going to try to get um, uh, to literally carve a new shipping lane um, called the Northern Sea Route. Yeah. Now, apparently, this I think this is particularly interesting mm -hmm. um, because it cuts, uh, it will cut times pretty dramatically uh, to go from some places uh, to other places. <laughs> uh, so, for instance, from South Korea's Busan um, to Rotterdam uh, would take 27 or 28 days uh, via the Northern Sea Route, aka the NSR, mm. um, but it would take 40 days by the Suez Canal. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, obviously, we know in the not-too-distant past um, that, you know, blocking the Suez Canal is quite problematic <laughs> because if you've got someone, and I did say this in our quick chat before this, um, because I, I really, really good on my nautical knowledge mm -hmm. and technical phrases. Yes. That um, some geezer was driving the boat. Driving. I was just waiting yeah. for this. Driving. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. driving the boat <laughs> and he couldn't do a three-point turn. <laughs> so Excellent. that's my, that's my summarisation. There's a great the... analysis, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, fantastic. Thank you. I know. I, definitely a dear diary moment, uh, that. But I, yeah, so, um, so we've, we've got that. So I think it just shows, actually, if they can 
literally carve out this new route. This yeah. could be a real game changer yeah. and really help with this whole um, uh, supply chain problem, assuming, of course, that well, the yes. ports sort themselves out. But um, but what do you reckon of that then? Well, I, I find this a, a an exceptionally astute move by Putin. Mm-hmm. Well, assuming he is eventually responsible for this or by the, yeah. by the Russian government. He's, he's certainly going to put his name by it. I mean, well, especially yes. if it works. Clearly. No, but if, <laughs> if, it, uh, if it doesn't, if he doesn't, he'll, he'll blame it on someone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> right. So, where was I? You, you were about to talk confused. about the NSR. Yeah, I was trying to um, ingratiate myself to Mr. Putin. <laughs> so, uh, fantastically astute move by Mr. Putin, I think. I don't know. They're very the various frameworks which we could sort of develop um, here, one which immediately sprang to mind when I heard that is that geopolitics. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about this, I mean, geopolit- ge- geopolitically, Russia has always had the problem that it doesn't have access to ice-free ports. Mm-hmm. That has always been the issue. Um the only ice-free ports they had were basically in the uh, in, in in the Black Sea, mm-hmm. uh, leading into the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and this is, I believe, also the reason why he recently invited himself into into the Crimea, mm-hmm. uh, and the next this in 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 a in an astonishing move in the 21st century, I have to say, mm-hmm. and of course we are now seeing accumulation of troops outside the Ukrainian border, so it would appear as if these type of interventions are not done yet. Mm. Um, but looking at this, the Northern Sea Route, I mean, it may it is not going to be ice-free, but it is going to be a an established uh, um, a yet-to-be-established working way to ship goods via a sea route that is not the Suez Canal. Mm. And therefore, of course, he is inf- he's increasing the influence of Russia away mm-hmm. from the uh, dependence of the, um, the, the, well, the, the industrialized world, let's say, mm-hmm. yes. on, 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 on gas and other, uh, and gas and oil, etc. Mm. So this is no longer going to be the only thing which Russia is going to provide. Mm-hmm. They're also going to provide a chief or one important logistical uh, vein in, 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 well, from one industrialized country to another. Mm. Or to, to another set of industrialized countries, the e- mm. east to west, and and I think yes, th- that's um, that's going to be important for for Russia's standing, of course, also perhaps in the international community. So very 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 good move. One would hope that perhaps it's going to <laughs> make invasion of. Uh, peace-loving countries <laughs> minding their own business in the Mediterranean less important, but that's probably not. No, I mean the other thing as well. The other kind of cynical way of looking at it is <laughs> this could be another uh, a, another thing that Putin could use to uh, in negotiation oh, um, yes, of for stuff for stuff that he wants. So that that and Nord Stream too. Um, I think it's pretty. You know, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, some some good bargaining tools there. Um, Absolutely. 
but yeah, so I really interesting. Anyway, uh, I thought that's that was that was a very interesting story. And then uh, I guess sort of leading on um, from that, uh, you know, floating nuclear power plant stuff is mm-hmm. the very interesting news about Commonwealth Fusion Systems, which has been um, given a. a Again, I'm using the technical phraseology for this, uh, a shed load of cash um, by Tiger Global Management and Bill Gates um, to look at nuclear fusion, not fission. Yes. Uh, And I think that, you know, the the, well, I mean, the simple thing, um, the thing that say the way I understand it is that so at the moment um, it's fission and um, that splits the atom, whereas fusion brings atoms together. Um, but you you know far more about this. So what, what do you think about all this? Well, I may know more about this, but that's still not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. <laughs> we'll check you out. Anyway, go on. <laughs> no, um, well, I... I um, yes, just just to put this into a little bit of context, perhaps, I mean, as you rightly say, and to my knowledge, which is limited, of course, um, mm-hmm. fission uh, splits the the atom and then uh, a chain reaction is, is, is initiated with all the uh, potential harmful effects of that. And also, even if there are no, even if everything goes right, which to be honest with you, normally it does. What you are left with is radioactive waste material and the problems which are coming from that. Mm. Now, now, fusion technology does the opposite. They blend, merge, well, fuse uh, elementary particles together. Mm. And that would, in theory, or does in theory, create output uh, energy output levels which are far in excess of what we get from fission uh, from Mm. the sort of traditional nuclear power Mm -hmm. in fact the process is always likened to what is happening in the center of the sun Mm -hmm. where you have precisely this fusion of elementary particles Uh, and now the positive, I mean, so, so the two obvious benefits from this technology, if we ever get, get this to work, one is the level of energy output is potentially far higher than that of nuclear or traditional nuclear uh, power. Mm-hmm. And second, there's no, uh, as far as I understand, no uh, radioactive waste. Mm-hmm. And so the technology is a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. The, the the problem with this is it's it's fiendishly difficult apparently to master and engineer uh, a technology which is able to generate this, and the reason for this is sort of obvious if you go back or remember my earlier metaphor, which is the sun, mm. because it is in fact the case that you need to heat up stuff. Uh, to temperatures which are close to, well, which which are equivalent to those in the sun. And -hmm. unfortunately, there's no material to contain this. Everything melts. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is an issue. And therefore, what, uh, as far as I understand, there are different competing technologies. But the one which, which I know about is that what you're doing 
is that you're containing the plasma. The plasma mm-hmm. is basically a gas in, mm-hmm. in, in which the atoms and the electrons and the protons and the, uh, the, the nucleus, they all come apart and they are a soup, mm. a, a soup of, um, of um, well, of, of elementary particles. Mm. And this is being heated up and you need strong magnets to contain it. Mm. And that is the issue. So there's no touching any substance. It's the magnets which are containing this. And the magnets, of course, need energy input. And so far, the issue has been that uh, the um, model miniature fusion plants that exist consume a lot more energy than they put out. Mm. And also the plasma cannot be held stable for long enough. And we're we're talking fractions of seconds here. Mm. But recently, I understand, uh, steps, real steps towards a solution of these problems has been made. And it is the case that for the first time, for a second or two, we've had a model nuclear fusion apparatus, let's say, Mm. uh, Mm. that generated more output than it uh, consumed. Mm. Now, even that there's a technicality here, which I'm not going to go into, even that isn't really true. I mean, it it still did not generate any usable electricity which you could put into into the net. That was Mm. still net negative. Nevertheless, I think reading all the various scientific articles that I do, because I haven't got anything else to do, <laughs> it, it looks to me as if there is a real step up in the rate of innovations in that particular field. And mm. if there's a genuine sense amongst the scientific community that we are uh, moving closer towards the uh, creation, the, uh, the, the, the construction of a workable fusion reactor and of course now closer to home leaving the field of science i mean to the extent we have entered it following me um mm-hmm. the interesting is of course that we are going to find um territories where we where, where we're building this i mean for the last 40 years i think one has been built in france and mm-hmm. now we're looking for uh, smaller plans to be built mm. in the UK mm-hmm. and of course that would be just fantastic mm. if uh, we as in the UK could um, could command or could reinvent ourselves as a country which is housing this type of technology because mm. cl- clearly post-Brexit we need something to offset yeah. the uh, access to the single market which which well which we have lost which which has been diluted. Mm. Indeed. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, obviously, at the moment, um, we're looking at, at the, these uh, SMRs, the small modular reactors and things that that um, is being led by um, by Rolls-Royce, etc. So, I mean, I like I say, that mm. if this technology does work out um, again, it would be great. But I'm sure everyone is trying to... Uh, trying to be the first aren't they really to to actually make it viable well yes but the, if, if you think about the general thrust of technology and where it's going to go in the, this decade or whatever this yeah. is just one element in a field which i think is going to race ahead like 
at his pace, which we haven't even seen in the last 20 years. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention all the various bits and pieces here, you like uh, quantum computing, etc. But mm. specifically fusion technology, if it arose as a viable in, uh, alternative to energy uh, production uh, mechanisms which we have at our disposal currently, mm -hmm. then very obviously that is going to be a huge help towards the solution of the of uh, climate change and, and global warming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't quite think it's going to arrive early enough, or may maybe just about. You know, I'm sort of thinking the articles which I read talk about the first workable genera fusion generators coming online in maybe 2050 2060 mm -hmm. that sort of thing oh, God, right, okay, yeah. so it is still a long way off but when mm. i hear these sort of targets of 2070 2050 2060 coming out of the cop 26 um mm -hmm. uh, meeting then we might just pull ourselves out of the dive here <laughs> if, mm. if you know mm. what i mean it is interesting isn't it? it is interesting i mean i just yeah to know about that stuff um and thinking of the possibilities, um, but you know, it's good that a decent amount of money is going into it. Anyway, yes, uh, absolutely. I think um, these are the sort of technologies which we need to invest in, 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 mm. in where the money has to go into more mm. than alternative technologies like wind energy, etc., which also are important. But mm. I think it is fusion technology which uh, is going to be a sustainable, lasting next level. Gen yeah. uh, technological solution. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Okie dokie. Well, I mean, let's go. I mean, we've got we've not got much time left now, yeah. but yeah. Um, let's just quickly talk about the last thing. Um, another yet another story I think was really fascinating this week, um, which is talking about U.S. legislators are looking at um, scaling back legal protections that internet platforms have been using over the years yep. um, to get away with posting user content without being liable for it. Um, so this protections thus far, they've got this protection from some section 230 of the communications decency act of 1996. Mm -hmm. uh, now, funnily enough, the, uh, the big tech companies who would be liable um, are saying, Oh no, no, that's mass incredibly old legislation is perfectly good. Um, and is definitely for the purpose. Whereas, of course, you would have thought, uh, although maybe I'm biased, but you would have thought um, that uh, it is it is time for a bit of an upgrade, a, a bit of an update, yeah. considering that the internet and the way people use it has changed considerably yeah. uh, since that point. Yeah. I think at that point, I was still getting to grips with using email so so um so 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 yes but anyway what um yeah what do you think about this no uh, absolutely i don't know the details uh, of it but i applaud the general step i mean if you if you liken this to let's say the old debate in in economics, um, competitive market forces, unregulated markets against centralist markets, then obviously we know that the extremes of either philosophy are harmful. Mm. If you have, you, you, you cannot have free market forces competing against each other without some level of regulation around it, without some level of 
uh, rule of law into which these are embedded. Otherwise, mm. you have the Wild West and nobody actually benefits from it. Mm. Uh, if, if, if you want to use bigger words than that, there are even theorems in, well, there are theorems, there are results in economics, Nash equilibria, etc., the um, uh, uh, tragedy of the commons. And, and these are the words which are sort of the nightmare scenarios which, which spring to mind there. Mm. Or when nightmare scenarios is, is, is dramatic. These are mm. the words which describe the fact that unregulated markets are not going to be necessarily for the benefit of all the actors within them. Mm. And if you take this kind of you know, um, let's say uh, intuitive framework and put it to the internet, you have a very similar situation. Mm. Well, on the one hand, yes, it's sort of any kind of regulation of the internet sort of flies in the face of the early philosophy, uh, which is it's it's a democratic market. It's That's the word which was being used there. But democratic mm. is a euphemism. It's not democratic at all. It's just simply unregulated and everybody mm -hmm. can impose whatever they like on it. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen that this is harmful. We've mm. seen in the last 10 years, certainly, certainly five years, that this is harmful. It um, mm. creates all sorts of disinformation. Uh, it creates uh, conspiracy theories that the vaccines, you know, create infertility or whatever it is, that the earth mm -hmm. may not be a sphere and all sorts of things coming out of that. And of course, uh, recently we've seen with uh, Cambridge Analytics that there are some very real negative uh, real world uh, effects which can come out of this. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that a, I'm looking for the word, responsibly, I think is an important word, a responsibly mm -hmm. regulated internet mm -hmm. is going to actually help the internet move into the next phase because it has to be a, a a space where the market participants, the internet participants, mm -hmm. can be confident that they can act um, w w without uh, you know, neg negative repercussions of any kind. Mm -hmm. And um, and so so I think that uh, if it is responsibly regulated, then this level of confidence increases, and therefore the sort of commoditized usage of the internet, the the usage as a, as as a as a support for commercial activity, is going to become uh, even more widespread than it is already. Yeah. So I so so I think yes, I would not want to be a policymaker. I have to say how to navigate between the legitimate. Um, the demand of, of, of the internet to be a space where people can post uh, whatever they mm -hmm. can post content in an uncensored way mm -hmm. and the equally legitimate demand of the participants themselves to be operating in a safe space is unclear to me, but if yep. this this legislation, this proposed legislation, is is going to increase this, I think even the tech companies, or specifically the tech companies, should in the end welcome this. Yes, indeed. And there, and on that bombshell, um, <laughs> I think we're going to end there. But um, as usual, thank you very much, Ralph. Your, I really do enjoy these these calls and thank your you. insights. So, uh, so um, hopefully, listeners do as well.
Um, which would be good. Um, well, but that anyway, would be excellent because <laughs> otherwise, be really uh, great. That would make our day. I would just um, force yeah. my views on yeah. the population. That's and... brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank um, you very much for having me on the show. No, absolutely you. brilliant. Um, anyway, thanks very much, Ralph, and we'll be back again next week. Cool. We'll be doing many more, um, obviously for the end of the year. But um, enjoy us while we can, while you can for 2021. Um, but thank you very much indeed. Absolutely, Cheers, Ralph. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.